So as we think about the text that I read this morning uh, from 2 Kings, you may have noticed possibly that there were a few familiar things going on in this story that were similar to the story we read last week. So in the story last week, there were 10 men with skin conditions that had called out to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus saw them and healed them. And after they were healed, one of them came back to say thanks. And that one was a Samaritan, a foreigner. But he returned to say thanks and to praise God as he did. So in today's story from the Hebrew Scriptures, we have another foreigner who is central to the story Naaman is described as a great man and a highly regarded general from the kingdom of Aram. We learn that God has used him to give victory to the nation of Aram. He is a mighty warrior for his king, but he has a skin condition. Just like the ten we heard about last week. And just as we heard in that story last week about how this skin condition caused those ten men to be outcasts, and outsiders, that would normally be the result during Naaman's time as well. To be marked with a skin condition was to be marked as unclean and to be cast out from others. No matter that Naaman was a mighty warrior, no matter that he was highly regarded by his king, this skin condition, if it became widely known, would cause him to lose it all and to become an outcast as surely as any other. So this is then where the story takes an interesting turn because it seems that in his household, his wife has a young servant girl who was captured during a raid into Israel and brought back as a slave to be a servant in his household. And it's interesting because she takes it upon herself to say, you know, there's this prophet back home in Samaria who could heal him. Now this is before the break between the Hebrews and the Samaritans that figures into so many of Jesus' stories. This was at a time when Samaria was still a part of the nation of Israel. And so Uh, it was a time when there wasn't sort of this stigma attached to Samaria as there was in later times. And so, so Naaman goes to his king, and he lets the king know about his condition. And he requests the king, please let me go seek out this prophet so that I might be healed. And so obviously highly regarded because this king doesn't immediately cast him out. The king instead writes a letter to the king of Israel and sends him along with generous gifts to seek healing for this condition. Now, of course, as you might imagine, the king of Israel was not exactly thrilled when the general of the other nation's army shows up at his door with who can guess how many servants and others leading a train of supplies and other things to come knock on his door with this letter from his own king demanding 
that the general be healed. Israel is a relatively weak nation. They've already lost battles against this army. These ongoing skirmishes and raids at the border are probably a part of those ongoing hostilities between the two nations. And now the commander of the king's army shows up at his door with servants and probably troops and guards and a letter demanding that he be healed. The letter doesn't mention, we're not told that the letter mentions the prophet that's supposed to be able to heal him. doesn't say anything about the girl. It's just a letter from one king to another saying, hey, heal my servant. So, of course, the king of Israel is in a bit of distress. He reads the implied threat that's there. If I don't do what's being asked of me, he's going to see it as a sign of weakness, and he's going to attack and invade. But the prophet, thankfully the prophet Elisha, he hears about this situation. And so he sends word to the king of Israel, why don't you send that general down to see me? I'm sure the king of Israel is grateful to have Naaman and his servants and the troops that would have been traveling with them to get away from the palace. And so the king sends him on and says, please, the prophet you seek, here's where you go find him. And so Naaman goes on his way. But when Naaman arrives with all of his servants and with all of these gifts and with all of these troops, Elisha doesn't come out to see him. Instead, he sends out one of his own servants with simple instructions that just say, hey, go down to the river, Jordan, wash seven times, and then you will be clean. Naaman gets angry. Surely, this prophet would come out and see him. But, but he doesn't even come out of his door. And if it were that simple, I mean, aren't, aren't the rivers in my own lands just as worthy? Can't I just go clean in my own rivers? And so he turns away angry. But then... The servants there with him speak up. See a lot of that in this story, the servants speaking up. You know, if, if he had set you a difficult task, wouldn't you have done that? Why will you not do the simple thing? And so he relents, and he goes to the River Jordan and he washes seven times, and he's made clean. Now, I'm going to date myself just a little here. As I considered this story, I was reminded of the movie Doc Hollywood. Anybody else remember that? Some of you might not have been born yet. Sorry. I realize that. So this was a comedy starring Michael J. Fox that came out in 1991. And... Michael J. Fox plays an emergency room doctor who has been living in Washington, D.C., who is uh, 
traveling across the country, he's decided he's going to make more money being a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills than he is as an emergency room doctor in Washington, D.C. And so he's driving across the country, and he has to take a detour off of the highway. And in doing so, trying to figure out where he is and trying to look at his map and trying to drive all at the same time, he swerves to miss a cow standing in the middle of the road. And, and in doing so, he runs over this nice, beautiful white picket fence in front of this house. And, well, it, it just turns out that that fence belongs to the, the local judge, who's not exactly very pleased with this flashy doctor from the big city who's just come in and run over his fence. But instead of letting him pay a fine to have the fence repaired, the judge sentences him to serve community service in the the local clinic. Now the town does have another doctor, older doctor, rather grumpy, doesn't really like to come into the clinic, does most of his work over the phone or by making house calls. Well, there's this one incident where family brings in their young son to to the clinic. His skin's turned a little bluish and his Heartbeats elevated. Well, the young doctor from the emergency room, he sees this rare heart condition that's going to require open heart surgery, and he needs to be flown out and operated on immediately. The mother's like, well, Dr. Hogue, he always just says to have him drink a Coke, and he'll be fine. And he's like, seriously? Severe medical condition, and you're going to try and treat it? with a Coca-Cola? Well, then the older doctor calls on the phone again. He's like, look, just give him a Coke and send him on his way. Well, he's obviously not having that, so they've got a helicopter coming in. They're getting ready to load the boy to fly him off to the surgical center. The older doctor winds up pulling up in his car and starts questioning the family And comes to find out the boy had gotten into his father's chewing tobacco, swallowed a little bit, and had an upset stomach. And they'd uh, given him some bismuth subnitrate as an antacid to help settle his stomach. They'd given him a little too much. And that is what had caused the bluish tint to his skin. So the doctor pops open a Coca-Cola and hands it to him because the carbonation will help to counteract the symptoms help settle everything down. We tend to scoff at the simple solutions, and truth be told, there often are very real, complex conditions in our world that don't allow for a simple answer. Most medical treatments cannot be treated with a soda. But in this situation, that older doctor, he knew his community. He knew the people who lived there. He knew that family he had treated this exact same situation with them many times. And so he suspected that that Coca-Cola was all that was going to be needed because he had known their history Now, I imagine if he had shown up and started asking questions of them and their answers had not fit with what he was expecting, 
he would have accepted the other doctor's diagnosis and wished them well as they flew off. But his experience and his wisdom turned out to be correct in this particular instance. Naaman, in our story, had surely sought out other treatments for his skin condition once he realized he had it. I'm sure that he knew what would happen to him if his illness became known. And so I'm sure he was searching all over for a way to treat this condition. And then he hears about this man of God in Samaria. He hears of this prophet who can heal him. So I'm sure he was desperate enough and willing enough to try anything to get this cure. But the prophet doesn't do what was expected of him. Likely the king of Israel is correct in his assumptions and in his own reaction to a certain degree. Naaman shows up expecting a certain reception and I'm sure there's an implied threat in the presence there with so many servants and such extravagant gifts. How many servants would have been needed to carry all the silver and the gold and the other things that Naaman was bringing with him? How many soldiers would have traveled with them along the way to help protect the things that they were carrying? And they all show up at the king's palace. And then they go on and show up at Elisha's house. But Elisha doesn't even come out to meet with Naaman. Unlike Jesus in our story last week, we're not even told that Elisha sees Naaman for who he is. When the general shows up at his door, he just sends out a servant instead. He doesn't come out and lay hands on him. He doesn't come out and pray over him, wave his hands, do a little magic maybe. Doesn't come out to give him directions himself. He simply sends instructions out via a messenger. And it's hard to tell from Naaman's reaction, is he angry for the way that he was treated or is he angry at the simplicity of the instructions he was given? This was not what he expected, and he turns and leaves in anger. But thankfully, he listens to his servants when they come to him. This is not the first time he's listened to a servant. He already listened to his wife's servant, a slave who was taken from another land, and brought to serve in his household. What made him trust her words? What made him believe her when she came to say, there is a man of God, a prophet in Samaria, who can heal you? We can't know for sure why he did that, but we can know that God was present and at work in this story even in that moment. So Naaman first listens to her tale, to this story from this servant in his household, and decides that he is going to travel to Israel. And then he goes on to the province of Samaria to seek out Elisha. 
And then when that does not go as planned, he listens again to his servants as they beg him to listen to what the prophet has said, as they point out, you would have done the hard thing. Do this. On the one hand, this seems a little bit at odds with the picture that was painted of this general and how he expected to be treated by those he considered beneath him. But on the other hand, perhaps this is part of what made him a great military leader and a man who was highly regarded. His ability to listen to those that he would have considered his inferiors. His ability to listen and trust those that were around him. And so he again steps beyond those expectations as he relents in his anger and he does what the prophet had told him to do. And when he does, his skin is cleared up and he is made clean. The knowledge and the wisdom of the prophet who knew God, who knew what God was capable of, proved true. The general could have bathed in any number of rivers, but it was only by trusting in the word from this man of God, a foreign prophet of a foreign God, that he was made clean. It was an easy task he was given, and yet because of his pride, it proved to be a difficult one. The task itself wasn't hard, but his desires, his pride, his station got in the way of his ability to do what was asked of him in the immediate moment. What about us? As we think about what it is that God asks of us, the model for life that Jesus has given us to follow, we see two things that we are asked for. To love the Lord our God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. What could be simpler What could be simpler than to show love to God and to show love to those that we encounter every single day? And yet, what could be harder? Naaman was a foreigner. Not only that, he was the commander of a foreign army, an army that was engaged in battles and skirmishes with the nation of Israel And yet that didn't stop Elisha from telling him what he needed to do to be healed of his condition. It didn't stop God from working that miracle of healing him in that moment. Elisha trusted in God to heal this man regardless of where he was from, regardless of what he has done. as we consider those in need today in our world, as we consider those who come to us for healing, whatever the cause may be, wherever they may come from, we too can see that God provides a path for healing. In today's story, 
A young girl was taken captive, and yet she was able to serve as an agent, as an agent of God, leading someone to healing. Elisha, a man of God, serves as an agent of God to lead someone to healing. The unnamed servants with Naaman served as agents of God to lead Naaman to healing. And in the end, this foreign man, an enemy of Israel, was cleansed by God. This compassion serves to make God known even to this foreign soldier. And in the end, the general's life is changed. God reaches out beyond expectations, beyond the borders of the land to work healing in the life of this one in need. The king of Israel was only able to see what could go wrong in this request. He was only able to see his fear of calamity because he wasn't himself able to do any sort of healing. He lost sight of the one who could. But God worked a miracle, and this man's life was changed. And in working this miracle for this outsider, we see that God's healing and God's grace are not limited to any single group of people. Not even limited just to those believers. God's healing and grace became available to one, one who was an enemy. How are we serving as agents of God's healing? How are we serving as agents of God to make sure that those who are in need have what they need, regardless of nationality, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what it is that they believe. As we consider the simple things that God asks of us, I pray that God will continue to provide us with opportunities to be agents of change, agents of healing in this community and for those around us. As we come to this table to share in simple things. I pray that we will continue to do the simple task of loving those around us, even when that's not nearly as easy as it sounds. I pray that with God's help, we will continue to move beyond expectations, beyond the boundaries that we place around us to serve our community and to serve those in need. And so now we turn to this table. We turn to these simple elements of bread and the cup. We turn to these simple things that Jesus instructed us to partake of. Simple things through which much more can happen. We gather around this table now in communion with our sisters and brothers at the 8.30 service where Pastor Charles offered the prayer of thanksgiving over these gifts of bread in the cup. 
by sharing in this same bread and this same cup. We remember that we are united in mission and ministry and love with all of the other members of this congregation, regardless of which service they attend. In this United Methodist Church, this meal is open to all who would come. This is Christ's table, and Christ bids all to partake. So let us now offer our thanks to God for this meal we now share. We give thanks to the Lord our God, whose strong hands and loving arms encompass the universe, who with the eternal word and Holy Spirit is forever one God, who created all things and called them good, and in whom we live and move and have our being. We give thanks to the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. With his church around the world and through the ages, we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He offered us forgiveness, peace, healing, and love. He gave us fulfillment of our needs through bread and fish and wine. In breaking the bread, Jesus always gave thanks to God. And when we take the bread, we, along with the disciples and all the Christians around the world, we remember the body of Christ. In blessing the cup, Jesus again honored God and showed us the joy that God provides. And when we drink the cup, we remember the covenant created in Christ's sacrifice and the joy of his marriage to the church. We give thanks for the Holy Spirit that has been poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup. We pray now that that same Spirit may be poured out on us gathered here. That this bread and this cup may be for us the body and blood of Christ. That we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By the Spirit, may we be, may we be made one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all of the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. As the grain and the grapes, once dispersed in the fields, are now united together on this table in the bread and in the cup, we and all God's people are gathered from every time and place and united in one mission and one ministry to be the household of God. All honor and glory belong to God, the blessed and holy trinity. Amen.